Hello, this is Christopher from Comics, Beer, and Sci-Fi, and, and I'm here with a comic book vet here, Mr. Bill Loeb. William Messner Loeb's, yes, also known as Bill. I just wanted to ask you, at what point in your life did you realize that you wanted to be a writer or a comic book artist? Was it very young, or is it something that sort of evolved over time? Well, I... Uh this this really kind of dates me, but uh, Jules Pfeiffer came out with a book called The Great Comic Book Heroes, and he would he had worked in comics in the uh, in the forties and fifties, and uh, and he said that he realized at some point that his uh, that that he was uh, he had a mild talent for writing and a mild talent for art, and the only thing he seemed to be qualified for was comics. And I thought, well, you know, I have a mild talent for writing and a mild talent for art, so I should try to do that too. And he said he liked to be up in the attic and draw all day, and I, and rather than like interact with people. And I, oh, that's what I like. So it, it seemed to make a certain amount of sense. Uh, what I ended up doing was. Uh, uh, going to college and graduating in, in as a ma- as a uh, master's in history, and as it turned out that year, General Motors was not hiring consulting historians. Um, if they had, they probably would have done different different uh, cars than they than they ended up doing. Uh, but I uh, I decided to try this and. Uh, I ended up being in in several small comic book companies around Michigan because Michigan has always been a hotbed of comics and eventually uh, ended up being at, at, I guess, all of the uh, Chicago conventions. And when all the Chicago guys were turned into first comics and then ended up being hired over at DC, I sort of ended up going with them. You know, as an artist myself, not uh, as experienced as you are, obviously, and I've not been around that long, um, I know that I can relate to that sort of, that natural ability or that natural love and desire to write and be creative and mm-hmm. spending hours, you know, for me, it was Saturday morning cartoons, I'd sit down with my loose leaf paper and just start drawing and imagining and wanting to be in this industry, the comic book industry, but let me ask you this, um, as I didn't know if you knew this, but Michelangelo, the uh, famous artist from the Italian Renaissance, he actually preferred to sculpt over drawing, but he's known more so for um, drawing the Sistine Chapel, but he hated painting. The Medici family made him do it. So I just have a quick question. When it comes to you, I know you like to draw and write. So between the two, what's your preference? Ah, well, when I'm doing something complicated... Uh, like, you know, when I come up with a story that, that, that has, you know, lots of mounted riders and castles and huge flaming dragons that are half metallic coming out of the sky, then I like to write it. Um, but overall, I prefer the drawing. I, I, like, I, I wrote and drew my own series for 27 issues and, uh, and then another one for two issues. And... Uh, so I've I've done I've done them both, uh, and when I'm when my spine is more attached to the story, then I prefer to be the 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 artist as well. 
overall, it's more profitable to be the writer because at one point, and in fact for most points, when I was working for Marvel in DC, I was writing five books a month. So I could never conceivably have, have drawn more than two books a month. Well, that is very true about the writing. Um, a lot of writers who have been around uh, for 30 or 40 years ago, they're still very much working in the industry, but not necessarily a lot of the artists because art evolves, it changes, and sometimes the styles are a little bit more old school. I mean, you can definitely open up a comic book and see it was drawn in the 80s or the 70s or the, even the 90s with the big hair or, you know, you start seeing all the different uh, computer effects and CGI that are introduced into these very expensive comic books nowadays. So you said you started off with your own series and I just wanted to know what was it about and uh, how long did it last? Um, it lasted It lasted probably five years. Uh and and perhaps a little more because it it ceased being monthly after a while. Um, it got kind of drawn out at the end. Uh, but it was called Journey: The Adventures of Wolverine McAllister. And it was about a a uh, a frontiersman in in Michigan in around 1810. We had worked our way up to the War of 1812, as a matter of fact, and uh, I was. Uh, I had started out with the idea of doing a mountain man character. I had done quite a lot of research about that. But I realized that the mountain men were actually about 1830 in Canada and, the, uh, and, in, and in California. And I realized that as I was trying to do this, I would be thinking, oh, but did they have maple trees in California? <laughs> what kind of grass would they really have had? What, what would the... You know, would it have been a hill like this, or would it be at a bigger hill, or would we always see the Rockies in the background? And it was just going to be endless so second-guessing myself and endless research. And I thought, you know, if I was in Michigan, I could just look out the window. And so that's what I decided to do. And I, so I moved, moved the, uh, the action back 20 years when those kind of guys were at Michigan, which was pretty much the edge of the frontier, and told that story. Now, I have another question. When you were growing up, did you uh, meet a lot of opposition from aunts, uncles, and parents about wanting to be a writer and wanting to be an artist? I know that I was told very young, this isn't something very practical. You need to go learn how to be a businessman, go into business, uh, engineering, and all that stuff. And I'm like, but I want to draw and create. And, and sometimes that A personality uh, and B personality don't always uh, jive with each other. So, Yeah, although I feel like my, my dad was always very supportive, but he... He really, really wanted me to start out being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He thought that would be a, a good thing that you could fall back on. And it just, I was, I was just not put, put together for it. Um, he, was a, uh, he was a physicist. If you've ever seen uh, pictures of the moon rocket, where you have the first stage or the, the, yeah, the first stage falling away from the second stage and going back towards Earth. Mm -hmm. Well, my dad designed the camera system with, to, that took that picture. And so he worked as an, uh, uh, as a, uh, was a, uh, uh, um, 
someone in, in optics and, and creating all kinds. He used to bring home little fiber optic bundles for me to play with and, and that sort of thing. And my, my lack of ability of doing math was, was always a major tragedy for him. Uh, he would be trying to explain math to me, and I was w w watching uh, Huckleberry Hound behind him on the television. But uh, it was I, – I got, I got a lot of support. I, I got a lot of not really – you know, I, I, I don't think any, anybody that I knew – really understood uh none of my relatives really understood how comics worked and i only kind of understood uh how comics worked i know my my uncle uh who was a, a fairly high executive in in aeroquip decided that he and my mom would go out to all the local comic book stores and they would find a comic that i had done and they he would buy it and so he and this was, you know, this is this was a, a far, far. You know, I'd been, I had done Johnny Quest and and Flash, and I think Wonder Woman at that point, and uh, and he said. Uh, so we went into a comic. They went into a comic book store, and and he said, uh, Oh, uh, yes, I, Bill Messner Lobes. Uh, do you have a comic that he might have done? And he said, well, yeah, uh, what would you like? And he said, well, how about give me one of each? So they brought out this huge pile of comics and set them down. And they said, and now do you want the rest? And so it, my, uncle, my uncle found this incredibly amusing and, and would tell it at all the family gatherings. Uh, but... Uh, so, you know, you can actually work up a fair number of comics when you're doing five, five of them a month, which is what I was doing for most of my career. So how did you become more commercial, going from a more independent uh, artist and writer, or well, both of them are arts, um, yeah. to going back in the big Marvel DC? They're, they're kind of like the GM Chrysler of, of the comic book industry. So how did you uh, get the connection or... Well, that's, yeah, it was a combination of dumb luck and never saying no. Um, I was, I, the dumb luck part was that I started out in a very small comic book company called uh, Aardvark Vanaheim, um, moved to Fanagraphics, and then Kamiko, who, uh, uh, which was run by a couple of guys that I had met at a convention, uh, started doing Johnny Quest. And they had seen the fact that I could do a variety of different kinds of stories. And since they wanted to have one, one person uh, be the writer while they had a different artist art team on each book, at least for the first year, um, they... Uh, and, that, uh, and that in itself was a, was a big break for me because... Art, uh, writers were not really visible to people. Mostly people thought that the, the, the artist was also the writer of the book, even though they generally wasn't. But uh, because of this setup, I, you know, I was always there and somebody else was doing the art. People could actually see what it was I was doing. 
And I was able to do all kinds of different stories each time. And I think that that helped to cement what I was doing. Meanwhile, um, Mike Gold, who had worked for DC and then founded the, the uh, Chicago Comic Con, was asked to come back to DC as what, as what was called the Uber editor. He, uh, he was going to be the coordinator between all the different editorial fiefs that were in, uh, in DC. And so he brought in a lot of people that he knew from Chicago, and I had been at most of the Chicago conventions, so he just thought of me as being a Chicago guy. Mm -hmm. And with a combination of that and the fact that I had been doing Johnny Quest for a year, he asked me to come in and do uh, Flash when it became available. So that was, I, I just, I didn't have the, the bias. I didn't see that there was a strong difference between the independent comics and the mainstream comics. Now, both of them did. Right. Uh, but for example, Gary Groth, who was a big proponent of independent comics and was the editor of the Comics Journal and still is, uh, you know, Gary saw this as, you know, the difference between purity and, co and corruption. Uh, and uh, Mike saw it as the difference between professionalism and, uh, and whining amateur status. Mm -hmm. But the fact was, they were both the same person since I, I worked for and under both of them. You know, they were the same, the same strange, wild guy. And uh, I found that true all along. I, I think when people are, are forced to make that, ch that choice, eventually if, you, if you're forced into being just uh, an auteur and stay away from doing uh, company-owned characters, mm -hmm. then... I don't think that works. I think that you, you, you end up not being able to really make a living and support a family. And so you're always going to be with a second or a third job. Whereas a lot of the guys that I knew who were doing uh, or do company-owned characters, if they had only done that, and then the company do, comes in and does what it does, mm -hmm. which is rip the heart out of you. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have anything to fall back on. Mm -hmm. Then they, you know, they can become extremely bitter. Uh, a, 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 a famous artist once was asked, what would you do differently mm -hmm. uh, if, when, you were start, if you, when you were starting out your career? What would you have done differently? And he said, I would have cut off my hands. They were not all that bitter. But still, um, it was, uh, uh, that was Wallace Wood, by the way. Um, but anyway, that was, so you had that problem. And I, I kind of was able to avoid both those, those pitfalls because I had started out doing my own book. And I was still had the capacity for doing my own stuff 
And so I wasn't totally tied, emotionally tied into characters that people could take away from me. How do you feel about how the comic book industry has been, uh, or how mainstream society has appropriated the comic book industry uh, into sort of an everyday thing? Oh, man. We would have cut off our feet to, uh, to have had this kind of support when we were coming up. Because, you know, if you weren't drawing Superman or Batman, or sometimes Wonder Woman, you know, your relatives didn't even know what you were doing. Um, I was... I, I think it's great, and I especially think it's great that they've come up with ways of, of translating the characters without making them super camp and they uh and not uh and yet being able to sort of keep the kernel of the of what made the character interesting uh and they managed to get really good actors for the most part to participate i mean when you ha- when you're in in thor and you have an academy award winning actress as his girlfriend mm-hmm. it's like wow Wow, that that would never have happened. And uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins too. That's right. That's well, well, Sir Anthony just pops up everywhere. But yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I can remember. I mean, there was only one reason. There were there were two words that defined why Superman the movie got made, which was Marlon Brando. Correct. Uh, even though he wanted to play him as a big green suitcase. <laughs> and they were being paid two million dollars to do it, and they said. Uh, uh, no, Marlon, not at these rates. Uh, but uh, let's let's play him like he was a human being. Uh, but still, um, you know, and that I think that really set a, a good tone. You know, you you, I just recently was uh, asked to narrate uh, and talk about uh, the Bat- Batman, uh, the first uh, Michael Keaton Batman movie, and mm-hmm. and you see that and you say, oh. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a little tiny bit over the top, but boy, the Joker is so great in that with Jack Nicholson. It just, you know, they were they were able to do all kinds of stuff with that. I have been warning my friends for twenty years, and I but I did not, I did not do that to uh, to watch their son die, and 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 so he. Uh, he actually brings Kim Basinger into the Batcave to give him a reason for living rather than just killing the Joker and dying. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that, 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 those movies had a certain amount of, of umph to them. I, I think they're doing, they're, they, these movies are doing a great job. I, I, I'm not somebody who thinks that it should be just one thing or the other because you've, you've got to have support under under cultural phenomena and i think you know the the movies and the and the and the comic book series support each other there was there was even a couple little things that i did in in when i was writing thor that managed to work their way into thor 2 a couple of times i actually held my breath cuz i thought oh they're going to go further no they aren't no but it was uh, was it anything with uh, the uh the Infinity Stones, the the ether, or was it um, like with Malkith? Or it was it was uh, it was Loki. Uh, the, the relationship between between Loki and Thor, and the fact that 
that that uh, Odin treats Loki so badly, and then of course Loki treats Odin so badly. But Thor is is very much caught in the middle, and and I tried to I tried to play that uh, in my in my stories. There's still a they they collected my five Thor issues together into a graphic album, and uh, and uh, the. Those, that sequence is in there somewhere. We're at a Comic-Con, and we're kind of find, looking through the, um, the retro stuff. Are we going to find a lot of your work? Well, if you see, have anything in there from Wonder Woman from the 90s or, uh, or Thor from the 80s, uh, yes. Yes. Um, I recently stumbled. They, they had some used comics at the, our local library, and I had a collection of Welcome to Heaven, Dr. Franklin, which was my first, uh, my first book, you might say. It was actually serialized in the back of somebody else's book, in the back of Cerebus, the Aardvark. Uh, but this was uh, Benjamin Franklin goes to heaven and, uh, and ends up uh, finding out that Marcus Aurelius is really God <laughs> and is insane. And so he has to uh, gather... Joan of Arc and uh, and Leonardo da Vinci together and uh, and cr- do another revolution and set up a parliamentary democracy in heaven. Journey was never a huge seller, okay. uh, but you could find Johnny Quest uh, all through the eighties. Uh, that that made a pretty big bounce, and uh, and uh, very often you will see um, uh, Doctor Fate. My my Doctor Fate is the woman. Dr. Fate. So you can usually tell her on the cover. I think those are the ones that would be the most, the easiest for you to find. Uh, there's actually a, co- uh, a collection, copy, coffee table book of Journey that's in the Brighton Library. Okay, so I have to ask you the, the cliche question. Um, if you had any wisdom to bestow on youngsters like me, well, I'm not that young, or any aspiring artist or writer, what would it be? What are some of the baby steps and then some of the bigger steps they could take? Everyone thinks, everyone thinks that there is a magic formula. And I, uh, I, I was, we were, I was with a, several friends of mine. We, were, we had all uh, were, were doing a store appearance and we were all sitting around a table and we all sort of shuffled around the way you do so that you're not going to get your arm in the way of somebody else's arm while you're inking. And we noticed that, uh, we suddenly noticed that we were all left-handed. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that's, that's funny, that's funny. And they would just come out with the book, uh, uh, a drawing on the right side of the brain and, and, and so forth. And, uh, yeah, they say, you know, if you're left-handed, then you're more talented. And they say that about uh, Michelangelo, as a matter of fact. And okay, so so we and then we talked about other things. Well, uh, this kid came in. He must have been about ten or eleven. And the way that a lot of people approach, a lot of fans approach you, is either by slavish syncophancy mm-hmm. or by being a little aggressive. And so this kid had chosen the aggressive route. And he comes up to the, one of the guys and he says, so how can I get into comics? So they, they go through, well, you should, you should read other people's comics, but you should also do other things. You should go to movies. You should, you should read books. You should 
you know, feed the, the storytelling thing and, and you know, all these things and learn how to draw from, from life and not just from comics. And so all of those, all those things, and you, yeah, but how do you get into comics? What's the secret? What do you get into comics? Well, he was telling this to Donald Simpson. And Donald does not suffer fools gladly. And so he said, well, you've got to be left-handed. <laughs> and he said, left-handed? He said, yeah, see? And you could see because we all had our, our water and our brushes out and everything. He said, see, we're all left-handed. See, I wanted to be in comics. And I'm, and I'm left-handed. And... The next guy says, I wanted to be in comics, and I'm left-handed. And it, it went all the way around the table, and then it came around to me. And I t everybody turned around to look at me, and I said, well, I was right-handed, but I wanted to be in comics. That kid is still running. <laughs> but you see... There is no, uh, there, there is, there is no great secret to this. I used to get up every morning, and I would do inking exercises for two hours in the morning from six until eight, just because I wanted to have a minimum amount of of ability to handle a brush, which was very important back then. It's a, uh, some of the some of the manual dexterity you need is now a little different, uh, and more and more people are are using digital pads and stuff but still being able to ink with a brush is is not a bad way to go um you've got uh you know knowing knowing basically you're not going to you're not going to get into comics by alienating people you're not going to get into comics uh by doing crazy things uh barry windsor smith who used to draw Conan uh, for Marvel, was told offhandedly by Stan Lee, that when he, and, who, and he was in England, when Stan Lee was in England and Barry Windsor Smith came up to him and he said, oh yes, you're very talented. Uh, you, you know, you, next time you're in, in New York, you should come in and we'll, well, he shows up in three days. Mm -hmm. uh, he sold everything he owned. And he was sleeping, as they discovered to their horror, in, in the middle of Central Park. And they said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're, we're going to have somebody get killed trying to break into comics. And, and, and this will not be good for us. It will also not be good for our souls. But <laughs> it will certainly not be good for Marvel Comics. And so they started finding things for him to do. And, and you know, he then became the the mainstream of uh of marvel comics in the 70s uh but he was uh you you can't depend on doing something really stupid and then falling through a tree uh you've got to and and you know my route was my i sort of just fumbled into into being as as i just explained um and almost everybody does one way or another John Ostrander, who's written just about every book there is to write at Marvel and DC, uh, 
was was uh, trying to become a uh, stage actor mm-hmm. and and ended up here it it just it just sort of happens i i was i had been in comics for 10 years when joe kubert actually founded a school where you could learn how to do comics and that seems to be helping but it's also pretty expensive and you have to get to yeah, totally. you know you have to get to connecticut or wherever it is so you know that's there isn't there isn't a trick there isn't a trick it's just it's it's just figuring you figure out what the story is that you tell yourself when you go to sleep at night and you try to tell that one I think it's I think it's a mistake to just trying to break in at with the big guys right. with their characters and never try to give people a script mm-hmm. because they don't read them right there's nothing more boring than reading a script for one thing and the way you do it is uh, what they call in Hollywood proof of concept you you if you're a writer you find a uh, you find a, com- a would-be comic book artist. You enslave him. Mm-hmm. You have him do your 22-page comic. You both kick in the money for it. You end up with a comic book in your hand, and then you hand that to the editor. Okay. That is what you need to do. Well, listen. I really appreciate all of your insight. It was awesome. And uh, shake your hand well, there. It's, it's great to meet you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm a diehard comic book fan, and this is Chris from Comics, Beer, and Sci-Fi. <laughs>